God speaks. And one of the things about uh, what the Lord has laid upon our hearts as a church is to be able to develop in hearing from God. Because God is preparing us for the days ahead. And these days are, are not expected to be bright. They're expected to be pretty dark. But if you can see in the dark, you will actually find that things, no matter how befuddled they are, will be clear to you. And I felt that um, today is an instance of hearing from God as well, in which um, we together hear the same Spirit speaking the same thing. We can get in touch with that, right? Amen? Um, I'm going to read Psalm 84, and um, I'm, I'm excited about this because um, it's so clear that God is speaking. So let's read it from verse 1. I'm reading from the ESV. How, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, or the valley of tears, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing, thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. This is a pilgrimage psalm, and it depicts the, the song of the pilgrims as they were going up to the feast uh, in Jerusalem. So they are longing and they are yearning for the courts of the Lord, for the presence of God. They are longing for um, rest. They are they're longing for God to, to act in their lives. They're looking for some fulfillment in their lives. And there's a way in which we are all on pilgrimage um, towards God, towards Zion. And as uh, the psalmist uh, describes that, we understand that the, the path that many of them take is a path that, especially when you come closer to Jerusalem, is very dangerous. It's very dangerous territory. And, uh, and they need the safety of God. They need the presence of God to come to them now, not, not only in the temple, but as they are going on, on pilgrimage. But this is a pilgrim song, and, um, and there's something about this song that has a combination of rest as well as a certain restlessness about it. It depicts the, 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 the sparrow or the swallow, depending on what version you have, looking, looking, searching, searching for a place to lay her young and finding it in the, the, the nest, finding the able, a, a nesting place at the altars of God. And there's a way in which the psalmist is, uh, is, is uh, provoked by that, or he is evoked, that, that image evokes the longing and the restlessness of the psalmist's heart for conclusion in God, in uh, resolution in God, presence of God, something more than, than, than what he's experiencing 
that we are all on a journey, and we've been talking about how the fulfillment of God's promises in our lives is often in a seed form. And Jesus spoke about the fact that there's a way in which the development of the seed, it sometimes feels too slow, sometimes feels too uneventful. But that's the way in which the kingdom of God, the, the power of God, is, uh, develops in our lives. And I'd like to talk a little bit about that because what struck me about this psalm um, is the fact of wanting to be there but not being there yet. Yeah? Having a promise, having an expectation, but that expectation not being completely fulfilled yet. Um, there are psalms that talk about that a lot. And the, this, one, this one is one of them. The, the pilgrim that's wanting to be there and yet walking through the desert, tremendous uh, desolation. And yet somehow, as the psalmist is singing and praising God, longing for the courts of the Lord, longing to get to his destination, he is, in this psalm, beginning to experience the destination while he's on the way. In the meantime, and today I'd like to talk about the meantime. In fact, the title, if you want to have a title for this, it's called Mean Time. The meantime is the in-between time, right? Meantime is while you're waiting, while you're traveling, while it's still not completely fulfilled. While, yeah? And the psalmists are always experiencing the distance between where they are and where they would like to see God fulfilling His promises and the fullness of God's presence in their lives. There's always the in-between time, the now but not yet, so to speak. Yeah? And in Psalm 61, for example, the psalmist says, From the ends of the earth I cry to thee. When my heart is overwhelmed or when my heart is faint, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. So the, the psalmist is constantly measuring out the distance between where he is that's not the best in a desolate place and where he's promised that he would be in the end. And the question for us is this, in the in-between time, in the meantime, what do we do? Is life completely desolate until God fulfills his promises, until we reach our destination? Is the Christian life only about the destination? Is there anything in between? Psalm 84 tells us there is such a thing called mean time. Mean, in the middle, right? In the middle. But mean also means, I wrote it down from the Miriam Webster, worthy of little regard, small, poor, shabby, inferior. That's mean time. And in the meantime, we experience that too. We experience something that is not quite what we want it to be. Meantime. The psalmist is saying that in the meantime, in the smallness of my existence, in the desolation of my own life, the unfulfilledness, the restlessness that I'm experiencing, there is fullness of God there. And I'd like to talk especially about that. It says here, um, verse, verse 6, as they go through the valley of tears, they make it a place of springs. The early drain also covers it with pools. 
They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. So what the psalmist is talking about is something that is very, very interesting. It is almost as if he's saying, in between time, when I go through the valleys, God gives me an outpouring of rain, of blessing, of His Spirit, and He gives me pools of water, wellsprings of water. In fact, the psalmist is saying that even before I reach there, there is, in the meantime, plenty of blessing for God to, to, to give to us, and we can experience not this long and drawn-out journey in which we're just trying to hang on, but the blessing of God. You can experience Zion now. It's Zion now. Amen? Let's pray. Let's ask God to speak to us. Lord, we ask you that even now, in the meantime, you will give us showers of blessing. You know every person's situation. And we are convinced that you have something to say to us. And so we ask you that you would open up your word, open up our hearts, open up the very actuality of your blessing, that we can experience the substance of it even today. today. Even before we go home, even before we get into the car, even in this moment, in present time, you speak to us. Not only do we ask you that you will speak to us, but in your speaking, you deposit the very thing you're speaking about into us. In Jesus' name. Amen. How lovely, verse 1, is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. And what the, the psalmist is implying here is that we all faint. Life is difficult, don't you think? I've heard so many people say, wherever we go, life has, has changed. The world has changed. Not only since COVID, but there's more that's happening in the world. There's something of a declension or de declination. There's something of a diminishing. There's something of a rotting. There's some, something of a corruption that is taking place in the world. It's not only turning things upside down, but it's causing things to actually fall out. Under, from under, underneath us. And there's a fainting. I believe that many of us are experiencing a certain heaviness about, uh, in life, a certain lack of hope, lack of uh, 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 prospects sometimes. And these prospects cannot be found in the world or in anyone that we have dependent upon. But what God is saying, it seems, to the, from the psalmist is this, our fainting is not really for help. It's not just from human help. Our fainting is fainting for the, for the Lord. The, the, the human soul has been made to be thriving from God, to experience the thriving grace of God continually. And the psalmist understands that when he faints, he's not fainting because he's a faint guy, or that he's a weak guy. That could be all part of it, but he's saying, I, I, I detect that I have a, 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 a somehow dip, uh, somehow I'm experiencing a dip in the strength of God in me. I'm needing God more. I'm needing Him again. I'm needing Him because I'm at a low point. And he's understanding that his fainting is not just for people or things, 
but his fainting is for God. He's yearning. Now, God has put within us his spirit that can cause us to, to, to sense it. We can sense it. We can sense it not just because we are low energy or low uh, morale, but because of the fact that, that we, we are feeling a little distant from God. We're feeling a little something that's coming between us. And the psalmist is saying, I'm fainting. I wonder whether there are some of us who are here who are feel, feeling, whether in your body, on your soul, in your mind, your morale, a certain fainting that's there. And if, that's, if, that, if you are experiencing this, I believe God has a word for you. My soul longs, it faints. And there's a way in which I'm speaking as a parent, right? My, my mind immediately um, um, settles on this whole analogy of the sparrow or the, or the swallow who's looking for a place to, to lay his young or her young where he can be assured that everything is going to be okay. There's a restlessness there. A restlessness for the children. A restlessness for the young. Restlessness for the next generation. Restlessness for our, young, our, our babies. Restlessness for the, the burdens of our lives. Yeah? You may not have any physical children, but there is a certain restlessness that God is wanting to meet tonight, today because of that. Yeah? And so the, the, the psalmist begins to, to talk about this. My soul longs, yes, faints, verse 2, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh, and flesh sing for joy to the living God. And he's experiencing this fainting, and yet he's experiencing, even before he has reached the destination, a certain joy that's beginning to spring up. Even the sparrow finds his home and a swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. And then he says, Blessed are those, verse 5, whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go from the through the valley of Bakar, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. And this is very powerful because what he's saying is this. If your heart has highways, if your heart is not stuck in the place that you're in, but your heart has highways that are going towards God, going towards Zion, going towards what God has for you, His destiny for you, those hard things will appear before God. What Psalmist is saying is amazing. He's saying God has a destiny, destiny for you. God he doesn't leave you in the wilderness to be stuck. He has a plan and a, and a destiny for you. That's amazing. We're not set on this earth in which God says, okay, you're here on the earth. Good luck. Hope you do well. I'll be at the other end. I hope you make it. He actually has a highway for you. He has an inheritance. He has a destiny for you. For those of you who feel lost today and you're not sure where, I'm, where you're going, can I read, read you 1 Peter chapter 1? There's something that's really powerful about that. 1 Peter chapter 1. You may not know it, but this is true for 
every one of us who, who know the Lord. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3, okay? According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We've been born again. We've got a new existence, a new living spirit within us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven. And heaven doesn't mean that thing in the sky, in the sweet by and by. Kept in heaven means in the heavenly realm, in the spiritual realm, in the realm of God. For you, this has been kept for you. Each one of us has an inheritance. You're not excited? It's kept for you. It's never going to be, be, be defiled. It's never going to be uh, fading. It's kept for you. Guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Anybody got trials? Okay, good. A resounding yes. So that the testing, tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That inheritance will be revealed in you. It will be revealed. It will be, be manifested in you. And it's the life of Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Wow. He's saying, even though, even though you haven't seen it, you can actually rejoice and your rejoicing is not just a hopeful, wishful thinking. That rejoicing is an inexpressible, joy inexpressible. It's not a guesswork. It's not some projection. It is something of substance. It is real. It is so real that in spite of the heaviness and the trials you are going, your experience is not heaviness, but joy inexpressible. Something of the future has walked back into the present and erupted inside you. Now, of course, many of us will say, no, don't mean that at all. What Peter is saying is this, this is the reality, all right? The rest of the book tells you how to experience this reality, how to be connected with this reality. Amen? So I, I would really uh, invite you to, 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 uh, to read this. What he, First Peter is saying in chapter 1 is this. There is, a, there is a destiny that is pulling you forward. It has pulled you forward. When you became a Christian, the Holy Spirit entered into you, into your life. When the Holy Spirit entered into your life, it activated your spirit and it joined him, himself with your spirit so much so that inside you, you have an activator. As a whole life that's more than yourself. When we become Christians, we die to our old self and we give up our old self, our own rights, our own self, selfish desires to Him, and He begins to live in us. This spirit is going to constantly pull you, keep, keep on pulling you and me towards your destiny. A destiny that has been reserved by God, it's custom made for you and me. Every one of us has a different kind of destiny. But it's one that the Holy Spirit, because He's with you, is going to keep pushing you, pulling you, 
if you are quiet yourself before the Lord, if you quiet and you get out of the jangly noises and voices and, and pressures from under earth, you will begin to experience more and more a feel of that, that pulling. That is why the Bible talks a lot about being silent before God. Because most of the time we can't hear it. Most of the time we are too present to other things and not present to God. But if you are open to Him and you surrender yourself to Him, you will find that in your quiet moments, He will pull you. He will pull you circumstantially as well as in your intuition, in your soul. People who feed that begin to feel that this destiny becomes stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. You can hear it more and more. Why are you looking at me like that? You've not experienced it? Come on, you have. Perhaps fleetingly. But if you give time to it, give space to it, you will. So anyway, what I want to say is this. There's a highway that God has for us. And the highway is towards God's fulfillment of His destiny, custom-made for you and me. And what we as a church want to do is to be able to know what is that highway? How, how, how is God forming us on that highway? Amen? He says, blessed are those whose, whose, uh, um, blessed are those whose strength is in, in Him. Okay. Let me get back to Psalm 84. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, verse 5, in whose hearts are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Bakar, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. What he's saying is this. In the meantime, where everything seems desolate, when everything seems not hopeless, there is a place in which we can experience, even before we reach the goal, the fullness of God's outpouring. How good is it? How good is the meantime? How good can the meantime be? I would put it to you that it can be so good, it's better than you can even imagine. It's so good that you will say, I don't even need the end to this destination because this is so good. This is where we are, we are heading for today, okay? This is, the, this is what we are looking for, okay? And what I want to invite you to do is to suspend unbelief. Suspend unbelief. Suspend any kind of way in which what you've experienced is the arbiter of what, what is true. Because what, what we're going to talk about is what perhaps we've never experienced before. But he's saying that in the meantime, if you, if you have that heart, it's towards God, single-minded towards Him. You come through the valleys, and your valleys will turn into pools of water. You dig a well, you'll have assurance. Faith will begin to develop. Hope will be found. You experience a safe place. You'll find God as a present help in trouble. You'll experience a refreshing You will meet your fainting. There will be satisfaction. You will meet, you'll enter, enter into the rock that is higher than you. You'll experience, because the rock is higher than you, you'll, you'll experience a strength and a grace that's bigger than your own ability in the midst of this. You don't have to wait till Zion till everything gets concluded. You can experience now in the midst of your medical treatment, in the midst of your 
exam, in the midst of your uncertainty, in the midst of ugly people all around you, in the, in the, in the, in the, in the mean sense. Mean of mean, mean of mean time. <laughs> mean time is also mean people as well <laughs> in this time. In the midst of this, you experience in the meanness of your time. Rock that's higher than you. This is what um, the psalmist is saying. He's saying that before you reach there, the presence of God is not just out there in Zion, it is right here. All right, let's have a look at this. As an, as an example of this, I'd like us to look at Genesis chapter, um, chapter 39. Maybe, maybe that will give you a little uh, taste of what we're going to be doing in Pillars. In chapter 39, Joseph had experienced, instead of the dreams that he had got way, way back when he was young, he experienced everything other than the fulfillment of those dreams. And in Genesis chapter 9, 39, we find Joseph in prison. He's in prison for an, a crime he has never um, um, committed. He's experienced unfairness. He has experienced jealousy. He's experienced injustice upon his life. And this man of, just, of, 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 of destiny is actually a man who's now in prison. And his prison is locking him up to anything that he's supposed to have. And he's in meantime. Okay, let's look at it in, in chapter 39. In meantime, he's in prison. But it says here in verse 23, the keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because he had put Joseph in charge of things because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. If you look in verse 2, when he was put into prison, the Lord was with Joseph. Actually, this is before he was in prison. He was, when, he was a slave in Potiphar's house. The Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man. He was a slave, but God said he was a successful man. When he, went into, when, when he was, became a slave, he was a successful man. God says he was a successful man. And when he went into prison, he says God made him succeed. How about that? Now, I can say you're successful, but when God says you are successful, you are successful. True? God said to Moses, to, 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 sorry, to Joseph who was in prison, he was succeeding. When he said to, 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 about Joseph, when he was a slave, he was a successful man because the Lord was with him. And God kept steadfast love with him. God kept his covenant with him. That's an amazing thing. The, th the amazing thing is that God considered Joseph successful. Now, I don't believe God means you've got consolation pride. Da, 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 da. Didums, don't worry about it. I know your, your, your life sucks. But to me, you are successful. You know how a mother would tell a child who has maybe done, not done so well? Oh, 
but to me, you did so well. And the child said, okay, I know it's because it's you, your mom, you're my mom. You think I'm unsuccessful or whatever. This is not the way God is saying that. God's saying, Joseph was a successful man. That means he had more success than he can take. He had success that was, was more than enough for himself in his state. He had success flowing out of his noses and ears. No, one nose. His nose and ears. He had success sufficient for himself. And the Lord was with him and showed him steadfast love. In the meantime, Joseph was being trained by God. God, God was training him and he was molding him and he was killing off his flesh. He was killing off his pride, killing off his own human destiny so that he could replace it with God's success. And it says, when he was in prison, God gave him success. He didn't even have to think about what, where he was going. In fact, God never told him he was going to be Pharaoh's prime minister, chief minister. In fact, chief minister was just, just an addition. As if Joseph had died in prison, he would have died a successful man. And sometimes we feel we are, we, are, we are locked in in prison to the circumstances that we are in. But what God wants to do is to pour forth His reign to such an extent that where we are in the valley of Baca or far away in the ends of the earth, we will experience His blessing to, in that place right now. So this place that you are in, where things are not resolved in, is the place where God wants to work. He wants to fill it up in such a way that in spite of the fact that you don't feel you're in the right job, you're... Your, your work has not, has not been, been published yet. Your, 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 your success has not come. The bosses have not recognized you. You have not made the million dollars that you're looking for, which nowadays is not that much. God has success for you. Amen? This is the kind of thing that God has. I want to I wanna say, sometimes we are looking at the, at the future so much that we don't realize that what God has for us in this desolate place, in the meantime, when we feel, we feel small and, 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 and shoddy, God has pools of water and outpouring rain. The most important for us is this. This is the most crucial period. The pools and the rain are most important. It is more important than our destination. You can reach the destination and be thin, not equipped. Not able to. You'll be a complete, we can, be, we can end up in, the, in our destination, be a, be a complete failure there. But God says, I don't need you to be there. I have it for you, but I have mean time for you. Amen? It says here, Joseph, um, verse 23, the keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that Joseph was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made succeed. What was he doing? What was he doing? Let's have a look at this, okay? Chapter 40. Oh, let's, before we go, it's worth, it's worth looking at it here. Um, yeah, let, let's look at it in verse, verse 1 in chapter 40. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against the Lord, his, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, 
And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. So these two people were officials. They're like some political official who gets put in prison for corruption, and somehow they get special treatment. But their end was in sight. They continued for some time in custody. One night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in prison, each his own dream, and each dream with his own interpretation. And when Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. And so he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? So I can imagine Joseph, who should be actually pretty depressed. Why are you downcast? I can imagine him saying it with a smile. What's the problem? Why aren't you happy like me? <laughs> they said to him, we have had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not, in do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. Now, I'm fascinated by that because by the time he was asking this question, he had been in prison, he had been enslaved, he was confident enough to be able to hear from God to be able to interpret their dream. Don't you think? He had developed something in, in the prison. He had something, he developed something in meantime. Something in meantime was there, brewing and growing. That seed of Christ, of, of God in him, was growing to such an extent that by the time these two guys came in, he was confident enough to say, tell me the dream. I have a word from God. Isn't that amazing? I would put it to you that the meantime is a time in which God draws us to himself and he causes us to be dealt with, you know? And he puts death to our flesh, puts death to our ego, puts death to our pride, death to our hope in other things. And when that happens, you know, we're like a seed that falls into the ground and dies. In John chapter 12, the, some, some Greeks said, we, want, we wish to see Jesus. And the word that's used for see was not just a, a, a simple kind of seeing physically. I wanted to see, behold, to apprehend, be able to see from the inside as well. And what did Jesus say? He, say, he said, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it abideth alone. But if it, if, it, if, it, if it dies, it will bear much fruit. What God is actually sometimes doing in us is when we come to places of darkness where we can't see anything and there's no hope, we are dying to our human hope. We're dying to our human dream, our human sense of self-actualization. We're dying to our own special, special preferences. We're dying to the way we are. We're dying to who we are. We come to a place in which we don't try to, 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 to hold on to our own individuality, our own particular individual creativity. We die to all that so that God can resurrect it. Isn't that amazing? And so what happens is that they, Joseph, in his prison, I would suggest to you that actually God was training him. He was putting to death all the things that he was as a, as a favorite son of Jacob. He was putting to death his coat with many colors. It says that he, 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 was, he, he went around with, the, and the Hebrew describes it as a ceremonial coat. Yeah? It's a ceremonial coat with, which had long sleeves. Right? And the ceremonial coat that he would wear, wear whenever he went about the house would show his special status. 
Now, what happened was that when he went to see his brothers who were keeping sheep, you know what he was wearing? Silly boy. He was wearing a ceremonial coat. That's not the thing you wear when you're, you're trying to serve your, your father. You wear T-shirt and jeans, right? Or shorts. What was he doing? He was wearing his long coat with long, long sleeves. He goes there. They kill an animal and they pour blood over his long sleeve to show that even that had to die. True? True? The dream had to die before destiny could take over. A dream is our subjective response to something that perhaps is coming from destiny's side. But it's our own subjective response. It's our own pride. It's our own thing. That's why when, G when, 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 when Joseph dreamed, he was full of pride when he showed his, 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 his family about it. Yeah? That had to be dealt with. And God has destiny for every one of us. But He takes us through meantime where we experience meanness and we are in mean circumstances. He takes us through these things so there will be a death in that. And sometimes we think that that's all there is to, to, to life. We are going to be in prison. We're going to die in prison. No, there's something else that's going to die. It's our flesh that's actually going to die. But when he does that, Jesus said, Jesus said that if, if, if a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it will bear much fruit. Why did he say that? Because the Greeks were saying, I want to see Jesus. You'll never see God unless the grain of wheat falls to the ground. And so what God gave to, 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 to Joseph is a certain vision of God. And that happens when we are in prison. When we feel that we are not in a situation we are not fulfilled. We don't have the relationship that we so desire, that we feel we've been made for. We don't have the, 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 the good circumstances that we want. We don't have the money that we, we, we want, we so need even to have. You know? We don't have that. But in prison, what happens is that God begins to deal with Joseph because he's putting inside Joseph the seeing God in Zion, the seeing part. He's putting in Joseph the character the strength, the spiritual power, the faith, the safety, the steadfastness that is needed for the destiny that he has. Most of us don't realize that the destiny that you have, you're not ready for it yet. You're not strong enough, not humble enough, not insightful enough, not sensitive to God enough. But he's doing it in your life. Amen? He's doing it. And meantime is where he does it. And so Joseph comes to this place where he has to overcome bitterness for injustice that's done against him, false accusation. He has to do all the kinds of things that, that would have broken anyone's heart, that would have caused anyone else to be completely devastated. And he has to come, he's like a pile in slavery. This is a pile in prison. But this pile did not disintegrate. This pile collected itself and it set his heart towards God, towards Zion. And got on the highway. And the highway went through the prison. I believe there's a highway that God is bringing through your prison. Amen? I believe that, that, that meantime is the important time. She came to a point where he was able to hear the voice of God, sense the, 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 the wind of the Spirit. And his development was such that Instead of being distracted by all that was going on, 
he was focused on his highway. When you're in the highway, focus on the highway, not on the place that you're in. Because if you focus on the place that you're in, you will get discouraged. Because the place that you're in will tell you your life is doomed to be like that and it's going to be hopeless. It is in this place where he began to experience God becoming more and more assured. He experienced the rock that is higher than him. That happens all the time, isn't it? Don't you find? You're constantly brought to a place where you feel faint. You feel that I can't do anything big. Sometimes I feel I just want to go into a cave and just sit here. When that happens, I know I've got to go to the rock that's higher than I. Than I. I don't know how you experience depressing things, but there are ways in which the depressing things can make you want to just slink back. Don't, don't want to talk to anybody. Don't want to be in anything except in a cave. And then God begins to minister, call out to him, call out to him, we call out to him, we call out to him. And we don't know how many times we have to do it, but as we do it, the Lord begins to appear. The Lord begins to come. The more we praise him, the more we clap our hands, the more we call out to him, the more we pray in the spirit, the more and more something actually happens. You don't know when it's going to happen. You don't know when things will break through, but at a certain point, something will break through. Today, when we started clapping and as we were worshipping, we had, did not anticipate what was going to take place. But something broke in the atmosphere, I believe. We thought, this was no clap, you know, this is not like, this was something that came from more than your appreciation of, our, of, of, of God. It came out of the Spirit of God. Amen? And if you allow yourself to get into it, this will get stronger and stronger and it will overtake you. you be, amen? And you will become more than who you are. You will, will be higher than you. You will be on the rock. What we experience is the rock that is higher than us. You may have come into the, the service with this level of energy at the end of it, some of you experience this level of energy, the rock that is higher than I. Yeah? Now, that's some, something that God does. He brings us into something that is bigger than ourselves when we feel as if we are in a very small package. And this is what God begins to do in our lives. So, He comes there, and by the time um, um, the cupbearer and the baker come in, he has developed a certain strength, a certain certitude, a certain assurance in God. He knows God enough to be able to say, I can work with God. God is not this one that's far away. He's not satisfied with a God that, he, that sometimes we, are, we can tend to be satisfied. I know you're out there, that's good enough for me. No, he wants to see God. And he has come to a point where he knows he's close enough to God and he's ready. Do not... Um, so, so, verse 8, they said to him, We have had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. And Sozo said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. And Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, this is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office 
and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. That means you'll be restored, right? Only remember me when it's well with you and please do to me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh. He still wanted to get out of here. Which is not wrong, right? Right? We, we still want to get to our destination. Meantime is okay. But what Joseph was going to see, how powerful meantime was. Only remember me when it is well with you. Please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh. And so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. And the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable. He said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head. And in the uppermost basket, there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, this is his interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree. Oh boy. And the birds will eat the flesh from you. And on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and placed the cup in, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And then he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph but forgot him. Oh, bummer, man. But the point is, Joseph's dream was not just a dream in which he read a book on dream inter interpretation and he, and he learned, learned it by book knowledge, how to interpret dreams. That was not what was going on. He was interpreting it by revelation. I believe this is the core thing that God is doing for us in meantime. He's developing a supernatural insight into what's really going on in the invisible world. He has that for you. He has that for me. And as a church, we are beginning to see it begin to break forth little bit by little bit, little bit by little bit, because we're in meantime. This meantime is crucial. You have to keep your heart pure. You have to keep listening to God. You have to forgive. You have to spend time with God. You have to keep your eyes off the place that you're in and on the highway. Amen? Because if you keep your eyes on the place, you'll get so discouraged that, you will, that the place will close in on you. And you will, it will start speaking ghostly things. It will speak hopeless things, things of disaster. You have to take your eyes off the place. And you have to keep your eyes on the highway. Because the highway tells you you're going somewhere. Amen? You're going somewhere. Doesn't matter how old or young you are, you are going somewhere because God has an inheritance for you in fading away, reserved in heaven for you. And He's going to do it. But you're going to experience some of it now. Now is the time. Now is the time to seek the Lord. Now is the time to spend time with prayer. This is now is the time to allow the Lord to guide you. Spend time quietly before the Lord. You can begin to feel hope begin to rise. Thoughts are thoughts that begin to rise in you that are hopeful, that are from God. Okay. Finally, finally in chapter 41, we have to come to chapter 41 before things begin to, to happen. It happened that two years later, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile, verse 1. We are in chapter 41 and verse 2. Behold, there came out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass, 
And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows, and Pharaoh awoke. And he fell asleep and dreamed the second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump, and wood were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears, and Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning, the spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. There was none that could interpret them to Pharaoh. Because those guys had not gone through meantime. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Oh, I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me in the, in the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream of his own interpretation. And a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. And when we told him, be he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about, I was restored to my office and the baker was hanged. And Pharaoh sent and called Joseph and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh and Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream. And there is no one who can interpret it. Isn't that amazing? God is preparing you for something that no one else can do. An appointment moment will, will take place in each one of our lives. It's what we call a, sometimes call a destiny item. There's something that God has called each of us to do that he's training for, and meantime is for that. He said, there's no one, none of the magicians in Egypt could actually interpret it. Only you, I've heard that you could do it. There is something that God will put his hand, finger on your shoulder about to do a very, very special thing which no one else can do. Because it's only that, because only you are the one who's been prepared to do that thing. It's not something that could be learned from books. It had to be something that is learned in the furnace of much trial. It's in the meantime. And that's why you have to keep your eyes on the highway. Amen? I remember when I was um, in the church that I was in, it seemed so mean. The church seemed so mean. Nothing attractive about it, except for the fact that they knew how to hear from God. But the training that went into listening to God was not easy. It was not easy. Many times I had to go into the room and call out to God because I was so hurt and I was so um, distressed by how difficult it was. I was not happy with the people that were with me, but God was clear, had called me there. In the midst of that, it was a very humbling experience. And in this humbling, I got a word from God. It was in, from uh, uh, Psalm 105. It says, it, was, it had, had to do with Joseph. He sent a man ahead of them. And until the word of God came to pass, the Lord tried him. 
Psalm, 100 and, uh, Psalm 104 says, Blessed is the man or woman who is chastised by God so that he will be granted relief on the day of adversity when he digs a pit for the enemy, for the, for the evil one. What he's saying, what God is say, was telling me is this, I'm preparing you for something that you, you are supposed to do for me. For several years, I was in this particular situation. And then God sent me out. And one day, he sent me out to, do, to, to start a church in a very, very oppressed place, a very, very desolate place. Nobody wanted to go there, but my pastor sent me there. And other, uh, other people go two by two. He sent me one by one. <laughs> and I experienced desolation like I never experienced before. I felt so desolate. Every day, every day, I just was alone. There was nobody in the church. We, I would just wake up, and I didn't know what to do. I'd pray and pray and pray, fall asleep, and then go out, try to do evangelism, come back. Nothing much happening. And I came to a point where I realized that if I continue like this, I could not, I could not um, endure it anymore. I had to give up. It was at this point where the Lord actually spoke to me and he says, I'm going to do something. I'm, I'm doing something in you. I'm doing something in you that will cause you to have what people need here in this town. What happened was that it came about that one day, you know, all, all I was doing was just praying, 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 praying. I'm praying until I fall asleep. I wake up and then I pray again and I fall asleep and I'm awake. There's nothing more than that. Praying, eating, sleeping, falling asleep, praying, eating, sleeping, falling asleep. And there were a few people that came to the church. There came a time in which someone from the Baptist church said, we've got a person who's demon-possessed. He's violent. We can't do anything for him. We sent him to all the counselors and the counselors can't do anything. He rips up everything. He's a very strong guy and he's very violent. Could you help? Now, this Baptist church didn't believe in the things of the Spirit. But because they were so desperate, they came to me. And so he came and he, they brought him. Immediately when he saw me, he started growling. And immediately they wanted to take him home because they didn't want a, a scene. But, you know, the Lord had put, me, put, me, put in me a certain calmness. I don't know where the calmness came from. must be falling asleep all the time. And I said, just wait. And I came to him. I just came to him. And I just spoke to him. And I just said, just don't worry. Jesus is here. Immediately he calmed down. And I just said very softly, in the name of Jesus, come out of him. Immediately he jumped up. And then he fell down in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a heap. And then started vomiting, 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 coughing, 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 coughing. And after he finished, it, it took about an hour, he was completely free. Completely free. 
wow, isn't that amazing? And I realized, oh, that's what I was on this path for. That God has actually called us to do something. You know, I was in another church, in this other church. It was, it was in, on a street that was opposite a Buddhist temple. But this Buddhist temple had an orphanage attached to it as well. And in this orphanage, they had about 20 children. And some of these children were very unruly. So I remember, you know, being in my office and a Buddhist monk came and, uh, and said, we have these children. We can't handle them. We don't know what to do. We heard that you have a good children's ministry in your church. Can you take them? That day, we started our orphanage with 20 children. And every one of them now are strong Christians today. Isn't that amazing? Because God trained us for a special work that He has called us to do. Amen? There comes a time in a person's life, Churchill said, that you will be figuratively tapped on the shoulder for a work that nobody can do, but God has called you to do. I don't think he said God, though. But only you can do. What a tragedy it would be if you find that you are inadequate for it, for what could have been your finest hour. I'm butchering that, that quote, by the way. But you get the idea. There is no one who could do it. The second thing that Pharaoh said is, I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And the second thing I'd like to say is this. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've heard it said of you. There's a rumor going on about you. People tell me you can interpret a dream. Where did that rumor start? In prison. Each one of us, God is preparing us so that we can have a, I have heard it said of you. What say you? That one day someone will come up, come up to you and say, I've heard it said of you that you hear from God. I heard it said from you that God speaks to you. I heard it said, said of you that you have faith, that, that miracles happen through your life. I've heard it said of you that you can do this great and amazing thing. God says, I'm going to prepare this. I've heard it said of you in the meantime. Amen? In the meantime is where God does us. I've heard it said of you. How did it happen? Well, he had this small incident where he interpreted the dream for the baker and for the cupbearer. It's almost as if, if we can see this, God's huge infinite glory is poured into small boxes, small incidents, small things that happen in meantime. Don't you think? It's what happened in meantime that created a reputation. It created the seed of what was going to happen big, bigly with Pharaoh. But, the, the, but if that didn't happen in the meantime, there would, no, no, there would be no call from Pharaoh. The destiny that Pharaoh was going to... The effect in Joseph came from the small package in which God's infinite power entered into a small seed, a small incident with the cupbearer. Don't you think so? 
Don't despise the day of small beginnings. Because the day of small beginnings, when you open your heart towards God, it may be a very small thing. You may be in a very small room with a very small thing that you think is nothing. You may despise it. But when God actually does that, something comes out of it. Something comes out of it. Amen? There's something that God is doing to you in, in, in your life in the meantime that you don't want to look for the big thing to happen. You want to appreciate the small things that are happening that God is going to do. And when He does that, He puts glory in that. And what happens is that from there, you have a, I have heard it said of you. What say you? God is doing that, right? Don't despise this day. Things, we are used to things that we hope for coming out full-blown, huge. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. Don't despise the junky car that you have. Don't despise the, the, the fact that in your house, there are many renovations that you wish you could do. And when you look at HGTV, all these houses look so, so amazing. And your house looks like, oh, there's cracks here, paint not done. You know, we have been, been trained to want the perfect, even though we can't afford it. To such an extent that we can't tolerate the imperfect. We can't tolerate where we are. We can't tolerate the car that we drive. We can't tolerate the money in our, in, our, in our wallet. We can't appreciate all that because we've been told by media or whatever it is that it should be that. If you are anything less than that, you're nothing. Don't despise the old t-shirt that you're wearing. Don't despise the junky car that you have. Amen? May I suggest to you that, that God, is, God is doing this. Hallelujah. We're about to close. I want to invite you to close your eyes and pray. Here are some practicals. Don't project today upon tomorrow. Tomorrow will not look anything like today. Focus on the highway and not on the valley. God says you are successful. Trust that even in the meantime, God will give to you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for where we are in this land of opportunity, in this highway of opportunity. We welcome you along the way. We long for you. We thank you, Lord. We don't need to come to our destination before you appear. But you are here with us. I want to invite you to just lift up your hands, open your hands to the Lord, Holy Spirit. Don't judge your situation. Don't keep your eyes on where you are. Set your eyes towards God. Some of us are already experiencing little packages of opportunity. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. God is making an 
I've heard it heard of you. I've heard it said of you in your life. Somebody's going to say, I've heard it said of you. That when you pray, things happen. Bless your name. We thank you, Lord, for this time. Have your own way, Lord. We bless you. Praise your name for your presence with us. Thank you for speaking to us, even in the worship throughout this time. We commit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen.